Hello and welcome to Make Ideas Reality, the podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to everyday creative heroes making their ideas reality that wouldn't necessarily get their story heard. I hope to inspire you with their stories, give you courage to leave your comfort zone, think big, and be the badass creator you are meant to be. I'm Justin White, aka The Garage Avenger. Let's do this! You need to do some, uh, some stretches of the mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. <laughs> <coughs> Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Make Ideas Reality. Today's guest has a love of old tools and a respect for the way things used to be done. From forging his own hewing axe to meticulously restoring tools, furniture and heritage buildings, he's a man of many talents. Welcome, Marcel Tugels. Thank you very much, Justin. Did I say that right? Yeah, you said that right. So, yeah. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Nice to awesome. meet you. Um, you were mentioned by Jürgen Stray uh, on episode, oh, which episode was that? Three? No, four. Four, episode four. Yeah, it's an early um, one. And uh, it's taken me this long to get to you. So, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, we did meet um, once at Maker Central, um, but yes. we didn't really talk so much about, you know, what, you were doing and and uh what you were all about so um why don't you share a little bit about yourself um yeah yeah all right sure um so my name is marcel Dögels. um that is d-e-u-g-e-l-s um so it's a flemish name um because i live in belgium i live in the city of antwerp um where i work as a restorer and conservator of antique wooden and metal objects, uh, heritage objects. Um, and besides that, I'm also a maker, mainly focusing on woodworking and metalworking, um, mostly hand tool oriented and focused on traditional techniques, materials, and craft related stuff like that. So, yeah. That's in short what I'm doing. That's cool. Um, where did this journey start for you to get into this whole conservation and restoration work? Well, um, when I was uh, when I was younger and I was in high school, I just did the normal thing that everybody does, and I I did my best. I I tried the most difficult thing or the most ambitious thing I could do in school. Uh, I didn't really take any risks, so I, I just went with uh, mathematics and sciences uh, until I was 18 years old. Uh, and then I graduated and had to go go to university or, 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 or find a job. Um, but yeah, in, in, in my family, it's, it's normal that you, you would go to university. So I had to choose uh, something to study, um, and at the, at this time I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life. 
So I, I chose something that was kind of an interest of mine, which had a little bit of science, a little bit of, of sports and, and some other stuff, uh, which was uh, physical therapy and rehabilitation sciences, uh, which I did for two years, but it wasn't really my passion. So uh, I was struggling to get my grades and passing the years. Um, and after these two years, I, I came to a, a fork in the road where I had to decide either to quit now while I still can, so to speak, or keep on struggling and try to finish a study that I don't really care that much about. Um, and I don't really know why I'm, I'm doing it, but I, I already was two years into it. So stopping it would seem like or feel like I've been wasting two years of my life. Um, but yeah, this was the moment in my life that that was the big change uh, where I did, in fact, decide to, to quit and change uh, directions. Thanks to a suggestion of my mother uh, who found the study of conservation and restoration. Uh, in a different city in Antwerp. So immediately when I heard about this this study, I I, I quit my my current study. I moved cities. Uh, I, I moved out of the house, uh, and I started um, this new study without even reading that much into it. But I just knew immediately that I would I would love it. Um, so yeah, I can I can speak a bit more about how it goes when you start yeah. yeah what was what was the degree like talk to talk to us about the degree well it's uh it's a study that used to be at the royal academy of fine arts in in uh, antwerp um but the year that i started it was the first year that it changed from the academy to the university um and it's a study where people go to become a restorer or a conservator which is basically the same thing, but the, yeah, it's a, a little nuanced. Um, but usually we use the term conservator restorer to, to as, our, as our title, so to speak. Um, so a person who studies this um, learns how to conserve, uh, restore, and repair um, antique objects or objects of cultural value, um, historical objects. Um, just heritage, uh, yeah, heritage of all kinds. Um, and the school is set up in different material classes. So when I was there, there was an organic side and an, an anorganic or inorganic side. So you have the inorganic, which is the glass department, which restores like stained glass. Um, uh, then you have the metal department, which restores like, you know, everything that's that's made out of some kind of metal. Either it's silverware or uh, goldsmithing or blacksmithing or or antique armors or weaponry or something like that. And then you have stone, uh, wall paintings, uh, much more. And then the organic side, which is wood department, paintings department, textiles, photography, paper. So it's 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 a lot of different classes. Um, and I chose for the wood department because I, I had the most affinity with this material from from when I was a child. I always was working a little bit with my hands at home and, and fixing things around the house, but never really, never really trained in any craft. Um, 
but naturally I graduated, I, I, I gravitated towards the, the wood. So yeah, I chose wood and I spent four years specializing in the conservation and the restoration of wooden heritage objects. So that, that goes from antique furniture to medieval wooden sculpture to um, floors, uh, ceilings, uh, roofs. If it's made of wood, we can restore it or conserve it for the future. Um, and yeah, as I was saying, it changed from ac uh, the academy to the university um, because it tried to, to bring the, the study up to the European standard, um, which is like a university of um, yeah, a university study that is like four or five years, um, where the focus is, is, is very scientific and less on the crafts. Um, so we were mainly focusing on, on the physical aspects of the wood and the chemical aspects, the degradation over time, um, how these uh, different environmental factors impact the wood, for example, how uh, how insects attack the wood, why why they do it, how the moisture moisture in the air affects the wood, um, how the light can can have an effect on fin different finishers on the wood or something like that. Hmm. So yeah, it's a very um, in-depth study about a very specific uh, material, but it's super interesting and you get to see a lot of different um, cool objects from from around different ages so it's perfect for a maker who is interested in how things are made and crafts and history so yeah that's about oh, it <laughs> what about what about tools is this is this where you got your love for old tools from well yeah definitely so in the first year you learn you start to learn about everything that has to do with wood starting from um how tree grows to how it is felt by by um, by people with with access most of the time um, going from even the stone age but we pass over that quite quickly of course because none of that uh, still remains today but then when starting from the the bronze age and the, the middle age um, there's a little more uh, still remaining so we learn about the historic use of these tools, um, how how they were made, what they were used for, and how we can recognize the tool marks that these antique tools left uh, on the objects, so we can identify them today. For example, um, if you have an antique uh, cabinet and the, the back of the cabinet is made out of uh, wooden paneling. Um, most of the time, the front is uh, is finished, so it's like it's smooth or it's painted or or whatever. But normally, the backside will be still rough, uh, have a rough finish with a lot of uh, tool marks visible. And depending on the tool marks you can see, you can you can kind of determine uh, how old this object is. For example, if you can see uh, saw marks of a uh, a water mill saw or um, or uh, a pit saw or you can see x marks or you can see plane marks 
or anything like that. These are all uh, indicators that that can help you identify the the authenticity of a of an object. So that's, that's super interesting, man. Yeah, like, it's, it's like a whole field. It's called uh, traceology, where you look for the tool marks of, of of historic tools on an historic item to identify from what time period it is. So I would, I probably would be <laughs> embarrassed to stand next to you. I think <laughs> if we were looking at something, I would be like, oh yeah, that's just a old piece of crap. And you'd be like, no, this is <laughs> this is milled by a water milled, you know, yeah. bandsaw, and oh, this is from the 18th century or blah blah blah. And like, oh, oops. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the main main things that uh, we we focus on during the study is is observation. So when you you get an an object um, to 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 have a treatment, the first thing you do is is just look at it. For, for a week and look at the, the, the smallest detail and and try to describe it and identify it and, and and find out why it's there and how it got there and yeah what it means. Does does that make you feel like you could like spot a fake? Well if it's obvious you can you can spot a spot a fake. So if you have like a, a, a supposed to be a medieval uh, a wooden chest, for example, and you you find mechanical saw marks or um, in in Flemish we call it machineslag, which is like the machine like a, the ripple effect of a of a mechanical planer or mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Yeah, of course, but. Even a, even an untrained uh, person that works with machines can recognize uh, the tools, uh, the the marks of a modern tool. But but yeah, that's something that that happens in our in our field that that there is an object with questionable authenticity, and they ask uh, art historians and conservators, restorers to to inspect the object and look for clues. For example, the tool the tool marks are are other other things like like types of glue that were used, of uh, finishing techniques, or uh, binding media in the paint layer, or something like that. Yeah. Um, your study seems very very specific and very small. It is. Was it hard to get a job, or have you gotten a job after your degree? Um, yeah, it, it is a small field, um, especially in Belgium, which is also like a small country. Um, but in, inside this field, everybody knows each other and it's not hard as a student to know every possibility where you could go to work um, in, in the country. Um, and there, there are opportunities um, to find them. Um, because when we were studying, me and my friends, we were all afraid that we wouldn't find jobs in our field. But now, after two years, most of us are actually working in the field, whether it is like like me as a practical restorer or more like a, a management position, um, which is also a possibility. 
Um, um, yeah, it's definitely possible, but sometimes it's, it's hard to look for and you have to wait a little bit. Maybe not be so picky and choose a job that's it's only vaguely connected. Um, me personally, I was lucky enough to to find my way pretty easily. Um, I applied for an internship during my master's um, at the, the Royal Institute for Art Patrimony in, in, in the capital, in Brussels, um, which I was granted. So when I graduated my master, I had a, a one-year contract um, at this place to work as a conservator restorer in the restoration lab for wooden polychrome sculpture. Um, and polychrome just means that it has been painted. Um, and this, yeah, this, this, this restoration lab mostly dealt with um, um, medieval sculpture or late medieval sculpture, um, ranging from the, the 12th, so early medieval to the, most of the, most of the sculptures were 16th century sculptures um, from all over Belgium, from all different kinds of churches, from all cor corners of the country. So I was there for a year and I got to, to work on these on this magnificent <laughs> ancient objects, which was super cool. And I also got to to learn a lot of interesting people. I visited other other uh, departments, the, like the paintings department, where there's like a Rubens being treated, and you can just go there and look at it. And yeah, it's an amazing place. Um, and after that, after that year, I I, I was again I, again I was lucky, and I had a, a colleague from school who was doing her internship. At a, at a small restoration firm in Antwerp, and they asked her if they if, if she knew anyone who was recently graduated as a wood restorer, and that was me. So they contacted me um, for a meeting, and we met. And I've been working there ever since for one and a half years now. So yeah, I'm working as a full-time restorer of metal and wood cool yeah let's Thanks. let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about old tools because you do yeah. <laughs> a little bit you've had a little bit on your youtube channel with regards to rest restorating or restorating that's not the right word i was <laughs> restoring um restoring old tools and you know Talk, talk to me about where you find your tools and the process you go through with your with the old tools that you have that you have and you like to use. Yeah, well, it all started with my study again. In the in the first year, we learned about all these historic techniques, um, and we had a little segments during our practical training hours um, where we had to recreate uh, historical techniques using the the tools of the time, um, which are still used today, like uh, a plane uh, and chisel and hammer and a saw. Um, these tools have remained and un remained unchanged for centuries. So using them today is, is more or less the same as using them a few centuries ago. Um, so this is 
my my first real contact with with tools and and real handwork that is focused on finishing a certain project um so yeah i, I came into this uh workshop at my university full of tools um antique tools modern tools and it was, it was so nice to learn to use them and i i really wanted to to have this possibility for myself at, at home so because we i learned woodworking um there starting with with historical techniques and historical tools i i was i was not looking for a circular saw or or a uh or, or a mechanical uh drill how do you say a battery operated drill um i was looking for for old chisels and old hammers and old saws all of which i, I was looking for on flea markets and, and secondhand websites and stores so I, uh, every weekend i or whenever i could i try to go to the flea markets extra early as early as i could get out of bed um to get there um to find the few tools that are there because there's not a lot of people who who have tools or at least sell them at flea markets markets so usually there's like one or two people at the flea market who are selling some old tools then you have to be one of the early ones who get there uh, to buy them. So yeah, I was I was looking for these old uh, antique woodworking tools, um, which was fine in the beginning. I could I could find chisels and hammers and saws quite easily, but as I progressed into the to study, I learned about more specific um, historical tools, which were much harder to find uh, at flea markets because they have been they have not been used for much longer than than these tools that that did stick around um and then i'm I'm mainly thinking about the axis um because yeah um, in the, the the middle ages and time before the industrial revolution um most of the of the big woodworking was was done with axes rather than saws just because uh, an axe is much more easy um to sharpen to make and to 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 maintain um also it's 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 using the the mechanical properties of the or the physical properties of the wood to to its advantage um meaning that you can split wood very easily um along the grain um, and using an axe is a little bit um a way to to use this uh property of wood to your advantage um but these specific types of access you cannot find on the flea market so that's why i was looking more online but even there there they are rare um and there is where the blacksmithing part of my interest uh started because i i tried to find out as much about these tools as i can how they were made uh and and that's how i found out about blacksmithing well, I knew about blacksmithing, but that's how my interest for blacksmithing grew. And I tried to learn as much as I could about it um, in the hopes to someday uh, learn to forge my own woodworking tools. Uh, and now I, I am I am just starting on my way to reach this goal um, with a blacksmithing course that I'm doing, uh, a two-year course. Um, that I do 
four days every month i'm learning how to be a blacksmith and then hopefully later i will evolve into learning about tool smithing specifically so yeah so what what sort of tools do you actually have you made already what have you yeah you said earlier that i that i made my own uh, hewing axe but that's not true i restored uh, an antique hewing axe um so actually i i haven't really forged any tool which is funny uh, I forged like small tools, tools like a, like a punch or or a drift or whatever. Um, but like big axes or 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 anything, I haven't really forged. I forged two knives, I think, but I haven't finished any of those. Um, I have like a video on my YouTube of a stock removal knife, which I did, uh, a wood carving knife. Um, but the thing about the the toolsmithing, it, it's, yeah, I tried to find a teacher for it in Belgium, but there's not really anyone who is, is professionally doing it. Um, so most of what I'm learning about toolsmithing is, is from sources online. There are some very talented toolsmiths uh, on Instagram and on YouTube. Um, and I definitely aspire to be Somewhat, somewhat like them uh, regarding their crafts, um, but getting there, in, it it will need a lot of trial and error, I think, and a lot of time for me in the workshop, which at the moment I cannot really uh, devote to it. But maybe one day I can do an internship or something else with a, a proper toolsmith. That's cool, I, but that excites you, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's like one guy in specific that I will name drop right now, um, <laughs> because he is like um, he's like the the best toolsmith that I know because he makes a lot of um, woodworking tools, mainly woodworking tools, because a lot of uh, online toolsmith smith makes uh, make like uh, blacksmithing tools or or like something like that, mm. but he makes almost exclusively woodworking tools and also a lot of historically um historical reproductions of woodworking tools uh and his name is joshua burrell if i'm not mistaken yeah josh burrell it's b-u-r-r-e-l-l um j dot l dot burrell underscore toolmaker on instagram um, yeah, and he's he's really great. He makes like a lot of uh, hewing axes and adzes and um, wood chisels, and his work is it's it's outstanding. And he's based in the UK, which is not too far away. So maybe one day I will try to get over there. Maybe you should just knock on his door, Muslim. Yeah, I'll just show up. And I'll, <laughs> I'll bring one of my axes that I already have. Yeah, nice. <laughs> to persuade him. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you being a professional restorer. Now, in the maker community, there's a bit of a trend to restore things. You being a professional restorer, how do you feel about makers and restoring compared to the the restoration, you know, professional community? Yeah. So 
it's 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 very funny to be in in this position that that I'm in. Um, I don't know if there's many other YouTube makers or people in the in the maker community that are professionally trained as a restorer. Um, I I also talked a little bit about this with Andy Berkey, who is also um, a little bit over over restorer himself. Um, but it's interesting because it, it it's two very different worlds, um, even though they do kind of a, of a, of a similar thing. Um, a YouTube maker restoring something versus a, a, a restorer in a museum restoring something. Um, they're both restoring an object um, to to its former glory, so to speak. But that's something that that the YouTube maker would say, but uh, an academic restorer would never actually say that or, or try to do that. There's a lot of, of, of difference in, in, in definitions and and the reasons behind the restoration. Um, on, in the YouTube scene or the maker scene, it's mostly, there is an old, an old thing that is not useful anymore or ugly or broken, and we will, we will fix it so it works and we will clean it so it looks as pretty as possible and possibly even better than it ever was before. And these are all things that you, you could label as a restoration. Um, but yeah, it's very different from what we would do in, in an academic or a museum setting or, or this context uh, of, of cultural heritage conservation where yeah, you try, you try to to respect the the age of the object and the material and how it has degraded and um, the story it tells. So, for example, um, doesn't necessarily need to function again um, for it to be conserved. It, it can just remain uh, as it is, and it, it especially does not need to look as new. Um, there's nothing really that asks for it to look like new because it is not new. It, it's old, so it can show that it's old. Um, there's a lot of ways to go about restoration as well in the maker community, as well in the professional community. Um, there's a lot of possibilities of what you can do to restore an item. Um, it's stuff like that, that that creates a lot of like a, like a, a hiccup in the community of the professional restorers where everybody has his his own idea of what is the ideal um, treatment of an object. And when there's a disagreement, sometimes these people can, can get a little bit mean or, you know, condescending towards each other and each other's work without really knowing the full story of how it came to be or something yeah which sounds very different to the maker community because everyone be like yeah you restored that old thing well done um mainly praises right yeah that that's what i what i realized that in the maker community the people are so welcoming and they try to see the best in the work that someone else is doing and try to lift each other up, uh, which is amazing and which is great. And that's why I, I really like 
being a part of this community um, that I feel like in the professional restorer community, it's a little bit different and everybody is trying to prove that he is the most uh, academically enlightened person and they know what's best and they are looking for the worst part <laughs> of someone else's work and they, then they try to point it out as, as, as if uh, you're doing something terribly wrong. Um, <clears throat> I've noticed that a lot in some of these uh, conservation Facebook groups that I'm in, um, where they share uh, the work of restorers online, and they are just all banding together on hating on this, this person's way of working uh, without really knowing the circumstances. Um, it's easy from from an outsider's perspective it's easy to say okay you should have done this and this and this in an ideal world maybe that's true that you should have done it this way but in the real world it's it never really works out like that you know there's there's unforeseen stuff that happens and you make the best of the situation that that you are dealt with so yeah, that's a big difference between these two communities and, you know, I'm a little bit torn between these two communities where at one, on one part I'm, I'm a prof professional restorer that has to abide by certain rules or, or standards and on the other side uh, I'm a part of the maker community where the rules are a little bit different. Um, but most of the time that's okay because we are not dealing with museum quality objects most of the time. Mm. So yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the maker community. Um, you know, there's a lot of inspiring people in the community and I wondered if we could go in now into Inspiration Nation. Yeah, yeah. Inspiration Nation. Are there are there any everyday creative heroes that inspire you? Yeah, there is a lot actually. So it's it's very difficult for me to choose one. Um, so I will say two. If that's allowed. It's allowed, let's do it. And funnily, funnily enough, it's two German guys, two young guys. Um, I'm sorry that they are German. I'm sorry that they're all guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it is. Um, yeah. One of them is maybe some of you in the maker community already know him. Um, is Hannes from uh, Unbehagen underscore at uh, Instagram. Um, he's a guy who, who likes uh, bicycles, who makes bicycles, who fixes bicycles. Um, but he's also a great maker and, 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 a, yeah, and a guy who is passionate about, about what he's doing. Um, I met him now two times at Maker, Maker Central um, last year and the year before that. 
um, and he's just a super chill guy um, working right now on a lot of um, restoring a lot of old uh, vices, which is very cool to see. And, you know, he has this sickness that we all have as makers, um, collecting tools, restoring them, bringing them back to their former glory, as we just talked about, uh, but putting them back to use and he's making some nice work out of it. And he's, he's taking pride in his, in his work, even though it's, it's just a simple old vice, if you really put the time into it, you can make something beautiful out of it. And that's what he is doing. And I like where he's going. So that's Hannes. And the other guy is Lasse. Lasse from Not Only Wood uh, on Instagram. He's a young German uh, blacksmith uh, who I also met again at Maker Central. It's the place to be, uh, it's the place to network, it's the place to make friends in this awesome community. So, um, Great. yeah, he's, he's also a super fun guy, a uh, young guy with a passion for blacksmithing and, and tool making. Um, and I, I met him as well as uh, Tim from uh, Cast and Forge um, at Maker Fair Hanover, uh, as well as Maker Central. And they're just awesome guys who, who are blacksmithing and I'm getting into blacksmithing now. So they're good guys to hang around. So cool. they inspire me to, to continue my passion by seeing them following their passion. Awesome. Well, I'll put the put links to them in the shorts guys so if you want to go check them out please go check them out um let's go to random question oh yeah i'm excited <laughs> for this oh yeah yeah i am all right here we go what percentage of an egg's weight is the shell hmm Um, five percent. Incorrect. Damn it. Uh, the correct answer was twelve uh, percent. Damn it. <laughs> I seriously had fun <laughs> trying to find a random question on the internet just before this uh, this podcast. But sometimes you don't reveal the answer, and it really annoys me. <laughs> I'm going to apologize to all the listeners for not revealing answers. Uh, what you were complaining about, um, what you were complaining about. Oh, yeah, that's right. Caroline's. Yeah. the Why? Now, for those who don't, are not on the Fools of Tools Facebook group and may not have got this answer, uh, the reason why a tennis ball is furry is because uh, it slows the ball down and creates more spin which makes the ball more playable on the grass court so there you go the more you know <laughs> let's go into story time marcel story time she stared at the gown and thought yes this is something my husband would wear so this is uh this is a story of when i graduated as a conservator restorer from the University of Antwerp. Um, so it's June 
uh, and it's the exam period. Um, and it's my final year, so it's my my final exam period. And even more special, it's my final exam ever. It's the last exam that I will ever have. Um, so as I normally do, I, I stay up very late and I keep studying until it's like two in the morning or three in the morning because I, I, I yeah, because that's me. Uh, I, I, I postpone everything until the last second and then I, I, I get my best motivation, the panic studying. So I start studying in, in, in the middle of the night and I'm, I'm very stressed out. But, you know, around 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, I think, okay, I'm ready. I can do this. I go to sleep. Um, but then, of course, the next day, I wake up because I'm getting a phone call. And it's a phone call of my, my best mate from the class. And I don't even I don't even pick up because when I see my phone, I can see it's it's 10 o'clock. The exam is over. Oh no. The exam. My 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 friend called me when he left the room and, and he, he finished his exam and he was calling me to ask where are you? That's what that's what I found out later because I just saw my phone. I flipped out, I jumped out of bed, I put on clothes and I ran to the university without looking behind me just without thinking i just ran ran i ran luckily i lived close so i didn't i didn't have to run that long but i arrived at, at the classroom where the exam was held and like 75 percent of the of the people there already finished and normally normally the rule is when there is a person outside of the room you cannot do it anymore um but yeah, I I arrived there and I'm all pale and I'm I'm out of breath and I I feel like I have to throw up. I'm really I'm really sick to my stomach. I don't know if it's because I'm I've been running or just because out of out of shock that I'm gonna I'm gonna miss this last exam that I will ever have and I will have to come back in August and retake it. So I'm just sitting there in in shock in in the room. I feeling feeling that I have to puke and everyone everyone is everybody is, is is standing around me checking me out seeing if I'm okay or if I'm gonna faint or whatever and then there is the teacher this saint of a man this teacher comes to me and I don't know why but for some reason he he believes my story that I'm actually genuinely overslept and I'm really I really just woke up and he, he gives me a pass and I he takes me to a, a separate room where I can finish the exam and take the exam, which yeah basically saved my, my final year um, and allowed me to graduate, uh, well, this the same year. I, possibly I, I would have graduated as well if I had to do it in August, but... That would have sucked so much. Uh, I think it was the exam of 
historical construction and finishing techniques as I look it up right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about how buildings were made and why and how they made the things that they used to make the building like uh, construction I-beams or stuff like that. Mm. I was thinking when you had, had like thrown on your clothes that maybe you'd like forgotten pants or something <laughs> running. It's not, it's still a real story. It's not like a cartoon story where the funniest thing in the world happens. No. It's just an actual, an actual story that's like, oh, that was so bad. And sometimes I just think about this moment and I think like, oh my, I was so lucky that I, that I was allowed to take this exam. Otherwise that would have sucked so much. Oh, you got to be grateful, don't you? I am very grateful. I, I I met him again, like a year after that, and I just was so grateful to him then. <laughs> I think every time I see him, I will see him for the rest of my life. I will, I don't know, buy him a drink or whatever. <laughs> so good. So, right, yeah. Let's go. Let's go into yeah. Let's go into hack attack. This is hack attack. I will not apologize for this bad intro. What do you got? Oh, I thought that you were going to do the jam. I can do it if you I want. Back. Just so everyone knows, that jingle actually comes from a British TV series called Art Attack. Oh. And in the beginning of that... Copyright. Yeah. In the beginning of that TV show, the guy goes, this is an art attack. No, this is an art attack. No, this is an art attack. And then at the end, he just goes, this is art attack. So <laughs> that's where hack attack comes from. <laughs> the intro. Wow. Just so you know. Right. Well, now, do you have a hack that you want to share with us? A hack. Mm. That's a difficult one because I, I feel like you need a lot of experience to, to share hacks. No. Um, but I don't know. You, you, I don't, don't, you don't have any, any experience restoring old stuff, man. So don't share any hacks with us about restoring <laughs> stuff, all right? So like you are not qualified at all to, to give us hacks on restoring stuff. Oh, right? a, hack, a hack about restoring stuff. <laughs> Hmm. I have not really a hack, but it's a tip. Yep. No, it just—it's like a beef. I don't know if you listen to the knife <laughs> knife talk uh, podcast, but it's like a beef. You know, when when I see people restoring an old tool, most of the time it's like an axe. Then they polish the hell out of it, mm. and and I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like it at all. I, I want it to show the age, of course. But that's not really a hack. That's just a tip, as in, don't ruin an old tool by trying to make it look new. Um, but a I think real... that's a good tip, though, I mean, because I think, you know, like okay. if you got something that looks old, like keep it looking old. I yeah, mean, it has I mean, history. Yeah. There's nothing special about a new tool. All, all the tools are new. There's something special about an old tool because it's old and it takes ages 
for it to become like this and to look like this and you cannot recreate or it's difficult to recreate a genuinely old looking tool so most of the time but it's like a personal preference i like the look of an old tool but you can you can fix it you can make it functional you can restore the parts that that needs that need to be restored um to to an, a state of of mint condition like for example the jaws on your bench files you can fix those so they don't mess up your workpiece but yeah you don't really need to repaint it if it doesn't need to be sometimes it's it's nice to do it like 100 you know this youtube channel it's my mechanics he does like restorations to the maximum he mm. makes it he makes it like better than it has ever been even when it was new yeah yeah and sometimes it's nice to see that but most of the times either you do it perfectly or you just appreciate the the old character that it has well i think that's a good tip i mean i i feel like you know there's a little bit of too much of that trying to <laughs> polish shit if you know what i mean and trying to <laughs> yeah <laughs> like don't don't have a respect for its age you know a little bit you know by showing it yeah but hey you can do whatever you want people listening <laughs> um. I think they will. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, is there anything you want to leave the audience with to sort of take away, like a philosophy or something you just sort of live by? That I live by. Well, take opportunities. That's that's what I that's what I would say. Um, just just take yeah shoot your shot that's what they say right so i just i just try to get two things um like two opportunities and i i shot my shot and i didn't get any of them but at least i tried so so i think that's that's what i wanna if anything if you take anything away from this podcast even though we didn't really talk about this as a subject um just go for it go for things if you want to do something if you if you have a vague interest in doing something just give it a go and see how it goes yeah i mean i think a little bit like what ellen said um a couple episodes back you know she said you know she just took one step forward and just saw how that went and just took another step you know yeah so i love it you know, I, I I'm, I'm doing this uh, this blacksmithing course now, and it was just like a random a random thing. You know, I was already interested in in learning about blacksmithing, but I didn't know didn't really know how to go about it. And then there was this um, call from the government uh, to the citizens citizens of Belgium, like, hey, we are uh, making this new uh, opportunity or we're giving away grants to people who want to learn a traditional craft with a, a master craftsman. And all you have to do is apply together with a with a master craftsman. And we will give you the funds that that you need to to make to make this project happen and to take the time and do it. So it's like a it's like a, a long shot, but this time I 
uh, well, I took this shot and it worked out this time. It doesn't work out every time, but stuff like that, it really, you know, it changed my life a little bit, you know. Now, now for four days a month, I take a blacksmithing class. And if I didn't, I didn't take this, this small chance, it would never have happened. Or maybe it would have happened, but in a different way or, or I don't know. So yeah, if, if an opportunity presents itself, chase it. 100% man, because like, you just don't know what's around the corner, do you? Like you take one little step and it doesn't seem to go anywhere, but then that leads to something else and then that leads to something else. And then before you know it, you're starting a podcast and talking to all these amazing people all around the world. So there you go. (laughs) Um, Marcel, where can people find you? Um, You can find me at all the usual social media at Marcel Teugels, which is Marcel and Teugels, which is T-E-U-G-E-L-S uh, on Instagram and on YouTube is my main focus. I have a Facebook page, but it's not really uh, interesting. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? Now there's Facebook's out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just events, birthdays, and the chat. Nothing else for Facebook. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for coming uh, and talking with me, Marcel. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, I also want to thank my audience for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend. Word of mouth is my oxygen. Um, before you close this app and Insta stalk Marcel. Um, Please consider rating the podcast or even leaving a review uh, because it would not only mean the world to me, but more importantly to my guests, as you guys have heard before, this will help the podcast get bigger and give uh, my guests a bigger opportunity to be found by others. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, send your DMs to at Garage Avenger on Instagram. Until next time, keep pushing yourself. Keep ballsing up things, keep learning, get inspired, and I'll catch you on the flip side. There we go, Marcel, we're doing it. We're doing it. Wow, that was hectic, man. Was it?